0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, February the 4th, 2023. It is currently 4.16 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And let me tell you, I get very excited. Oh, do I get excited? Let me tell you, I get happy. Let me tell you, I get filled with absolute, complete joy when a plan comes together just like I designed it. I I don't know if you remember this, but it's been a while now. I created a podcast series called Today's Focus. It still hasn't really taken on maybe a an identity yet maybe i'm still trying to figure it out but the original plan was each day i would start the day with a today's focus podcast episode the goal of that episode was to say everyone look i know you have a million things to listen to I know there's a million things going on in your life, but it was almost like I'm gonna, I've wrapped a present for you, and here it is. And I hand you this wrapped present saying, Here is your today's focus. Here's what I want you to focus on. Here's what I want you to think about. Here's what I want you to talk about. Here's what I want you to discuss with me. Here's your today's focus, right? And I I think, I still think it's a great idea. I'm not seeing the execution has been perfect, but I thought the idea was wonderful. Now, the goal was for that to spark conversation, either in my email inbox or on the Discord channel, right? People would be talking about it. We would, and, and as people talked about it throughout the day, that may spark a new idea. That may lead to a new discussion. That may lead me to coming right back up here in the studio, turning on the microphone and saying, okay, well, this morning, today's focus was this. Now we're going to talk about it again, or we're going to talk about something related to that because of this conversation or this discussion. So it was really this idea that I'm handing everyone something to focus on. Obviously that requires everyone to actually focus on it. Yes. That requires everyone to participate. Yes. That requires people to talk to me about it. I know that there's a lot of like, everything has to go perfect. And most of the time, let's be honest, you probably don't focus on it all day. You get distracted you don't communicate with me and i'm le- and i'm left thinking well is this podcast series really working the way i intended should i redesign it should i just throw away that podcast series and do something else i'm always trying to to think about it but then there are those days where i give everyone the gift people unwrap it and then boom They start talking about it. They email me. They start discussing it. And then when that happens, it's like, yes, it's working. And today was one of those days. This morning, I did a Today's Focus podcast episode talking about sermon illustrations and how I understand the motivation to use sermon illustrations is a good motivation. We want to bring clarity to what we're preaching, we want to bring understanding, we want to make it simple, we want to make sure people get it. But sometimes in these sermon illustrations, whether a pastor writes them on their own, borrow it from another source, buy them, wherever the illustration comes from, there are times where the illustration actually leads to a misrepresentation of God himself. It almost creates a graven image, a false God. It it represents God in a wrong way. Sometimes the sermon illustration is so bad, it actually, it doesn't bring clarity. It brings confusion. And sometimes... And a sermon illustration can be so bad that actually it teaches false doctrine. Like the sermon illustration really is teaching false doctrine. And a lot of times people don't catch on because like, well, it's just an illustration. But if the illustration is leading to a complete misunderstanding of a certain teaching, let's say about salvation, that would be a bad thing, right? So we started talking about sermon illustrations and I received an email. How long ago did I receive this email? Let me look here. I received an email today at 2.55 p.m. Central Time, so not too long ago. And the email, and I'm not going to read the whole thing because I want you just to hear, I want you to hear just a little bit of this. A famous illustration is the sermon, Dr. Law and Dr. Grace by Lester Roloff which pictures salvation as, and I'm not going to say how it pictures anything, but as soon as I saw a famous illustration is the sermon, Dr. Law and Dr. Grace, I didn't need to read anymore because immediately I knew, oh, this is the famous sermon by Lester Roloff. Everyone knows Dr. Law and Dr. Grace by Lester Roloff. Who doesn't know? I mean, if you don't know that sermon, where have you been? I mean, that, that sermon has been talked about, talked about and 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 talked about. Dr. Law and Dr. Grace by Lester Roloff. I can't even tell you how many times I've heard that sermon mentioned. I've had it suggested. I, I've i heard the sermon uh, countless times. And, uh, and, and I am very familiar with Lester Roloff. I used to listen to him on the radio all the time. Not that I agree with much of his theology or doctrine, but within the independent fundamental Baptist world, Lester Roloff was very much revered by many, you know, almost a reverence when they spoke of Dr. Lester Roloff. He was seen as, you know, hey, you know, listen to Dr. You know, in other words, what do I listen to on Christian radio? Well, stay away from all the modern stuff. Listen to Dr. Lester Roloff. Now, again, I I don't... I don't agree with much of his theology, but I definitely have listened to him much. If uh, I think he even uh, today, fundamentalist, what is it called? Let me find the app. I got the app on my iPad. Fundamentalist Broadcasting Network. Let's see, where is it? Where is it? FBN, the fundamentalist. I'm going to open this up. The Fundamental Broadcasting Network. The Fundamental Broadcasting Network, FBN FBNradio.com, that's FBNradio.com. You can download their app. Fundamental Broadcasting Network, they still air Lester Roloff, I think a couple of times a day. I think in the morning, I think maybe in the afternoon, I know uh, somewhere in the evening, uh, they they still play a lot of Lester Roloff. Or at least they used to. It, uh, maybe I'd have to check their schedule. They may have updated their schedule for 2023. So maybe Lester Roloff doesn't play such a prominent place in their schedule. But it, it used to feel like he played a prominent place. Um, back when I, now I think it's always been Maybe there was an AM radio station back in Nebraska in the 90s that aired Lester Roloff, but I I, I know Fundamental Broadcasting Network has been where I think I've primarily have heard him, but the sermon, Dr. Law and Dr. Grace, much revered, much talked about, and this person feels that it is an example of an absolute horrific sermon illustration, a really bad sermon illustration, especially when it comes to the subject of law and grace. So I was like, oh, this is perfect. One, it continues our discussion that we started uh, with the Today's Focus broadcast earlier today, sermon illustrations, but it also fits perfectly with a series that we're doing. Does anybody remember the name of that series? Let me see me see. I would ask the people in the room, but there's no one here. But if I was to ask people, I'm assuming someone, if they listen to this broadcast, like your series on understanding law and gospel, that's like now you've done like 60 parts, right? So far, you've got six, 60 plus hours of teaching on understanding law and gospel. This will fit perfectly in that series. And it continues the discussion from today's focus. So everything just comes together Perfectly. Isn't it great how that works? See, that's the way it was designed. That's the way it was designed. And today it's worked out perfectly. So to the person who emailed me, thank you so very much. That's what I was hoping would happen. I was, I did not know it was going to lead me to the law and gospel series, but this is awesome. So we're going to review. I don't know how many uh, episodes this will require, but we are going to review the very, 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 very famous sermon, Dr. Law and Dr. Grace, by the late Lester Roloff. And we're going to start that review right now. Are you ready? I was giving that dramatic pause to get you excited. So also doing that dramatic pause so you could grab a Bible A notebook? Something to write with? Something to drink? Sit back? Let's dive in. I'm not going to say if this sermon illustration is bad. I'm not going to say if it's good. The emailer thinks it's obviously bad, and it believes that it definitely calls into question, well, some things that we've talked about in regards to law and gospel, or in this case, law and grace. Let's see what we think well, I, I'm going to try my best to let you hear it for yourself. I mean, obviously, I'm going to be doing a review, but I, I really want you to see if you can figure out what's wrong, with, if there's something wrong here before I even tell you. Hopefully. But we know what's probably going to happen. He's probably going to get three seconds in, and I'm already going to be back on going, what's going on? But I'm going to try. I'm going to try to be patient. So here we go. The review of Law and Dr. Law and Dr. Grace by Lester Roloff begins
1: right now. Amen. Amen. You have your Bible turn with us now, please, for a number of wonderful texts. Now you know we've come to the very heart of the heart of the gospel. And the heart of your trouble is your heart. Don't forget that. It's not your hands, it's not your feet, it's not your head, but if you get your heart right, the rest of you will Get right, and so. Okay, now I, I do like that. The heart
0: of your trouble is your heart. The heart of the trouble is your heart. Now he believes we can get our heart right. Now that there is this is a much debated issue within the world of Christianity. Some believe when you're saved you get a completely new heart. The old heart is completely gone. So almost giving the indication that you could be perfect. And he believes you can at least get your heart right. You can get your heart right. Now, I have heard that language much of my Christian life. Get your heart right. Get your heart right. You need to get your heart. If your heart's not right with God tonight, get your heart right. Get your heart right. Get your heart right. And how do I get my heart right? I, I, I guess I go to the altar. I pray. I, I try to read my Bible more. I go to church more. I don't know. But I got to get my heart right. I wish it was that simple, ladies and gentlemen. But I believe that your heart's never going to be right until glorification. I believe you still have a sinful heart. I still believe you have a sinful nature. Now some believe you have a sinful nature but a new heart. So then how does the heart relate to the nature? Sometimes it gets really confusing listening to Christians try to explain exactly how it works. Well, you got a new nature, you got a you got a new nature but you have an old heart. No, you have a new heart but an old nature. No, you have a new nature and a new heart but you have an old nature uh, and it it, it just it gets all convoluted and confusing listening to people try to f- figure it out. I, I purposely made all of that confusing and convoluted because that's what it feels like trying to listen to Christians explain it. But he thinks you can get the heart right. And if you get the heart right, then you get to the heart of the problem because the heart of the problem is your heart. And if you get your heart right, then it's good. Now, I do, I, I am grateful that he is at least is saying the problem is not your hands. problem is not your feet, Right? And and I wish you would go on to say, and the problem is not the external things around you. The problem is inside of you is your heart. But the issue is your heart is always going to be the problem. I'm going to back that up one more time. I See, I told you I wasn't going to make it very far.
1: Here we go. It's not your hands. It's not your feet. It's not your head. But if you get your heart right, the rest of you will get right. And so I call your attention, first of all, to Ephesians chapter 2. We preached on this the other night. I simply give you just a portion of this chapter and we'll come in just a moment to the very heart of the message. By grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. Verse 8, chapter 2. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now let's run back to the book of Romans, chapter 11, and verse 6. Now this states the issue tonight. There never has been, but two ways, that's all. It's the way of man and the way of God. It's the way of works, and it's the way of righteousness. Never has been but two. Religion starts on the outside, never gets to the inside. God starts on the inside and works toward the outside. Okay, now we've got to be
0: careful here, all right? Religion stays on the outside, never gets on the inside. All right, I got no problem. But God starts on the inside and works to the outside. Now, this, this gets to the heart of of, a, of an issue when it comes to salvation. Did God come and save us by imputing righteousness to us and declaring me to be righteous even though I'm a sinner and even though I will maintain a sinful nature? Or did God come and Make me righteous inwardly, infused me with righteousness. Did something inside of me? Did he? Did he? Is, and most Christians believe that the work is something in. It, I Even though Christians will give lip service to imputation, it's they, they move past it quick. Well, okay, yeah, he imputed his righteousness, but 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 but, but he made me righteous. He did this inside of me. He did. Practically speaking, they will say, he made me a new creature. The old was gone. All is new. And, 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 and you say, okay, so I can be perfect. Well, no, 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 you can't be perfect. Well, wait, why can't I be perfect? And it goes, and it's just this really, it's like as much as Christians, well, as much as those who are not Catholic believe that we are saved by an imputed righteousness, it's amazing that the emphasis always bypasses the imputed for supposed this something that starts on the inside. That starts on the inside. That's supposed to make me better, 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 better. Like like Christianity quickly descends into almost a moralistic... It just becomes a moralism. It becomes a moralistic system. So, but okay. All right. So supposedly it starts on the inside. I'll back that up just a little bit. Here we go.
1: On the inside and works toward the outside. Grace is an inside worker. Because sin is an inside problem. All right. Grace is an inside
0: worker because sin is an inside problem. Well, sin is an inside problem. I completely agree. It's called a sinful nature depravity. Now, are you saying God infuses me with a grace to go after that inward problem? Or because God notices the inward problem and that I am completely corrupt, that he saves me based off an external righteousness, a righteousness outside of me, one that's imputed to my account? Or are you saying, no, 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 he, he does something inwardly. He places the grace inwardly. He does something inwardly. Now, this is where it turns into, well, now, if you don't see this and this and this and this and this and this and this this happen, you're not saved. But then we'll turn around and say, but you're saved by an imputed righteousness. Well, you're saved by an imputed righteousness, but there's this infusion part that's also happening. And the way you know you have the imputed is based off what's going on inwardly. So then it's like really what proves my salvation is not the imputed, it's the infused. So this leads to, how do you know you're saved? Not by what Christ did, but by what you do. And this, well, becomes majorly problematic and it becomes a law-based system. But let's see where he's going to take it.
1: And so here he's saying, it's completely and altogether by grace or it's altogether by works. And I believe that. I do not believe that grace and works will mix. I do not believe that works brings about grace, but I believe the right kind of grace and experience of grace will bring about works. Oh, here we go. Works will
0: not bring about grace. He says now, hey, we're saved by grace. And see, it sounds good. You want to say amen. I'm saved by grace. But then look, look look. what happens. Look what happens. Works does not produce grace, but the right kind of grace produce works. So what happens? This sets up sets up a system where then you say something like this, how do you know you have grace because of what you do? How do you know you're saved by what you do? What proves your salvation? What you do, not what Christ has done. So whether we like it or not, even though we keep saying, no, we believe in imputed righteousness, everything turns into now this inward work of grace. This it almost sounds like Roman Catholicism where, where we are infused with grace. Like, remember, the whole Protestant Reformation is a, just as a, this is where the dividing line is. Are we, say, by imputed righteousness or infused righteousness? Imputed or infused, imputed or infused. And the Protestant world wanted to say imputed, but slowly but surely, if you look at the Christian world, it's more and more about this infused idea that God, he did something in you, in you, in you, in you. Practical change, practical change, practical change. No practical change, no salvation. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't want that change. I'm not saying we shouldn't desire that change. I'm not saying we shouldn't work for that change. I'm not saying that a change can't happen. What I'm saying is the reality is no matter how much change you think should be there, the reality is that change will always be corrupted because sin still resides in us. And sin is still going to be the dominant factor in your life. You say, no, no, no. Sin's no longer the dominant factor. I've been set free. Well, if I've been set free, I can be perfect. And if you say I can't be perfect, then I'm not free.
1: And so, in this verse, verse 6 of the 11th chapter of the book of Romans, and if by grace, well why, why if by grace? We just read the verse a while ago, said by grace, for by grace ye are saved. So we got that established, haven't we? You're saved by grace. Now I know a lot of people say they're saved by grace, they don't know what grace is. The kind of grace I'm talking about does the saving and does the keeping. The kind of grace I'm talking about puts a man to work for the Lord.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now see, look, the grace does the keeping, does the saving and the keeping, but then the grace will put you to work. So is it, I'm saved by grace alone? Oh, and is this grace connected to an imputed righteousness or is this grace connected to some internal work? Like, what are we going to do with this? Well, let's see where he goes.
1: And if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so he said.
0: There, yeah, see, I knew that's where it was going. See, it, no, but no, we can't avoid that, that. I don't get it. Christians will quote that. If anyone's in crisis, a new creature, old things are passed away. All things have become new. That would be the eradication of the old nature, meaning sinless perfection is not only possible, it's plausible, it's likely, it's what you should expect. You can't say, the if anyone is in crisis, a new creature, the old has passed away, all things have become new. However, you still have a sin nature. However, you still can't be perfect. Then all things haven't become new. I, I don't understand the problem within the Christian world here, how they can't like we say these things and it's like, but the reality is sin isn't all over your congregation. sin is in your life. sin is over. we're not new creatures practically. Now that is 1,000 percent true, positionally because of imputed righteousness. in Christ, I'm a new creature. The old is gone, everything is new. That is true positionally because Christ's passive. An act of obedience is imputed to my account, is accredited to my account. I stand before God perfect, holy, righteous, obedient, a new creature, old is gone, all is new. But every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the old me is still walking this old earth and I still have the same old nature and I still have the same lust, the same desires, and the same struggles. And anyone who says otherwise
1: they're lying If by grace, then is it no more works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace? Otherwise, work is no more work. Turn to the book of Acts, please. Chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 and verse 11. We believe We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. We shall be saved.
0: Please note, obviously, this is not expounding any of these passages, exegeting any of this. This is going from scripture to scripture to scripture. And he's just looking for words like law or words like grace. That's that's where he's going. Okay, but that's fine. We'll, We'll just see where he takes it.
1: Through the grace. Turn, if you will, to Romans chapter four. The Bible's talking about Abraham. Said, what did he find out? What did he find out? What if Abraham found out as pertaining to the flesh? What did he find out? Well, he said, verse two: If Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God. That's Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for
0: righteousness. That's where that's a very key verse. He believed and it was counted unto him righteousness. How why was how do you understand Abraham being righteous? By faith. It was counted him righteous. By and let me read it again. For if Abraham were justified by the works, he would have someone to glory, but not before God. What saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. He was declared to be righteous. Righteousness was accredited to his account by faith. By faith. And the righteousness has nothing to do with what Abraham does or did. Because if it did, he would have some room to boast. The righteousness was a righteousness given to him by God. Because of faith, it's a an impu, imputed righteousness, a, a righteousness that's accredited to him.
1: You remember the verse last night when we preached on faith? By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into the place which he should after receive as an inheritance or for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out not knowing whither he went, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tents with Isaac, and Jacob as with him also the same promise. For he looked for a city. He looked for a city, which hath foundations, his builder and maker, is God. Now then, he's talking about Abraham. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of death. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on them that justifieth the ungodly, his faith, it's counted for righteousness. Now, I want to illustrate that. I see my good friend, Brother Nichols, I believe,
0: here tonight. All right, now he's going to go sermon illustration. This, this connects it with the Today's Focus episode this morning when we talked about sermon illustrations. Now we're going to get an illustration. He wants us to understand this concept. Now, the concept that is being given to us in Romans 4 is the concept of imputation. Righteousness is being imputed by faith, not by works. It's, he's, he's declared to be righteous not because of what he will do, could do, should do, may do, but because of faith. By faith, the righteousness of Christ is accredited to our account. Not an infused one, and an imputed one. Right? Let, let's see how he's going to illustrate this great
1: truth. My watchman at Taylor Brothers he and his dear wife and family have been my friends through many years and uh, i meant to take this watch to you yesterday but i ran into jack at the door and uh, this little uh, this little key outfit in there to hold the band on slipped out and he said you know i'm an old watchman myself let me fix it so i never did get over to you but uh... he takes good care of me and my watches this is an accotron uh, they tell me that uh, bulliver spent millions of dollars learning how to make and perfect that watch. That watch doesn't have any mainspring in it. It has a little motor, just a little engine. It doesn't have any mainspring in it. It has a little motor, just a little engine, I guess, what you call it. <laughs> and it just got a little humming sound. Just hums all the time. You don't have to wind it. You don't have to shake it. It just runs, and it'll run for one year, and I mean it'll never miss a second. I've never found one of these watches to miss, uh, not a half a minute in a year. I mean, that's an Accatron. Now, I'm not advertising watches tonight, uh, but uh, this watch is an unusual watch. But I want to illustrate something. now. What did he say? He said to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of death. And so my friend Brother Nichols said, uh, Brother Olaf, I'd like to give you the finest watch that's made. And, and from the cost of them, it, it, that could be sold But uh, nevertheless, he said, I'd like to give you a watch. And I said, All right, what watch would you like to give me? He said, I'd like to give you the very best, band and all. And so I said, All right, if it won't strain you up too much. and He said, no, and he puts it on my arm. He said, now then, come back a year from now and I'm going to put you another battery in that watch. I said, all right, I'll be back. But um, uh, that was on uh, July 1st. And on August 1st, I got one of them little looking-glass letters from him. You know one of those little things you see through? And I said, well... I was looking, you know, to get a little deal said Acatron hundred and seventy-five or two hundred or you know, whatever it is, and then paid in full by Brother Nichols. No, it wasn't it at all. It said, um, bill to L.L. Roloff, Acatron, one Acatron, two hundred dollars. I looked at that and it uh, seemed like my watch didn't sing as pretty as it had been singing. <laughs> and I said, that's, that's strange. I thought he's... Huh? He really didn't give it to me, did he? Now this is just an illustration, you see. All right. Same thing with salvation. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The wages of sin is death, but the GIFT gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if God said, I'm going to give you eternal life, am I going to get a bill for it? Oh, you'd say, what about the verse that says, work out your salvation? Sure it does, If Philippians chapter 2. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God that worketh in you both to will and to do, of His good pleasure. How can you work something out? I heard an old farmer talking, and he's trying to explain that. He said you can't work your tater patch out till you got one, and you can't work your salvation out till you have it. <laughs> well, if you'd like to look at that verse, it's found over in Philippians, and it'll be. Uh, Chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Now, I left a little word out of there, and I've got to put it in because you'll understand it better. Work out your salvation. That's not all of it. Work out your own salvation. Brother, it's a personal matter. Work it out. For it's God that worketh in you both to will and to do. Of His good pleasure, would you turn to First Corinthians, chapter fifteen? First Corinthians, chapter fifteen, and we'll just stop and visit Brother Paul a moment. He's in a big meeting somewhere.
0: All right, now he's given some illustrations. I I do agree that if if God gives salvation, if it's a gift given to us. By grace alone through faith alone, you can't come a bill later, right? A bill can't show up and go, whoa, 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 here's your bill. What's the bill? Well, you got to do this and 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 this. And if you don't do all of these things, well, you're not saved. Well, wait a minute. I thought it was by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone. You're giving me a bill basically. So I, so I do agree with that. Now that whole thing in Philippians about work out your own salvation, we should work it out, right? God has saved us. We have been saved. Now, we do have to work it out. So th- so sometimes people think that if you say you're saved by grace alone through faith alone, and that you're immediately saying we shouldn't do anything. Nobody's saying you shouldn't do anything. I'm saying that, that things that we should strive for cannot be the basis of our salvation or prove our salvation, because our salvation is given to us as a gift, and it's based off an imputed righteousness, not an infused or, gra- or a grace infused into me, but a righteousness accredited to my account.
1: And they just asked him to give his testimony. And so Brother Paul said, I'm delighted. In fact, this one time, you know, he said, I count myself happy to have the privilege of talking to all of you people. And uh, here he's given his testimony. And in verse 10, and I think it'd be well to read verse 9, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm the smallest apostle there is. Not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But I like this, brother. He said I still got a testimony. I feel like I'm the least of all the apostles, not even worthy to be called one. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. He didn't say by my religion I am what I am, but by the grace of God. I am what I am and his grace which was bestowed that's given upon me was not in vain but I labored more abundantly than they all yet not I but the grace of God which was with me turn please to 2nd Corinthians chapter 8 2nd Corinthians chapter 8 moreover brethren we do you to wit our witness of the grace of God bestowed, whereabouts, on the churches of Macedonia. That's the reason I love the church. If it's the kind of church ought to be, there'll be a heap of grace around there. Grace bestowed on the churches. Manifold wisdom on the churches. That's the reason I resent anybody in the world trying to run the church except God's people. Amen. They have no right! to tell the church what to do because God gave the church the grace of God and the manifold wisdom of God. And any church that doesn't have it is living beneath its privileges. I'm so ashamed of these little man-made churches. Preacher get up and said, Brethren, what is your desire? What wilt thou have me to do? Well that's not for him to ask the brethren. He ought to ask God that, and then do it, whether they like it or don't like it. But i tell him something else. The spiritual people like it every time. They're hungry for it. And so the preachers tell the people, all right? Now then, verse 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich brother, that's coming from poverty to tremendous riches, even though he went from tremendous riches to tremendous poverty. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Oh, if somehow we could get a hold of these verses. Now it's
0: awesome that you're looking at so many verses. Just to understand, there's no exposition, there's no exegetical work being done. He's just reading verses that have the words like law or grace in them, and then he's just m- pressing on without us really getting anything. But let's let's see what he his ultimate where he's ultimately going to take this
1: verses right here. To me, this is the heart of living by grace through faith, beginning at verse 11, Titus 2:11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Whereabouts in this present world? Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, purifying himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority let no man despise thee. Now get something straight. When you're saved by grace, grace is the teacher that tells you that you're not to live in sin anymore.
0: I do believe grace should be that teacher. Grace should be the motivator. Grace should be the thing that teaches us to move away because we've been saved from, from the penalty of our sin. We've been saved from that. So by grace, we should be motivated to move away from it. But let's make it very clear. You don't judge that grace based off what you do because you were saved by an imputed righteousness, not an infused one. I got no problem saying grace should be the motivating factor. But if you think about it, what is typically used to motivate people is not the grace of God. It's the threat of if you don't do this, 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 you prove you're not saved, meaning that you're not being motivated by grace. You're being motivated by you've got to prove your salvation. You're basically being motivated by law.
1: You'll deny ungodliness and worldly lust. And you live soberly, you live righteously, and grace is the only teacher and the only helper that can make you do that. Listen, salvation by grace is not a license to sin, but a license to serve. Did you? <clears throat> I do agree that it's not a
0: license to sin. But at but the same time, we have to understand the reason we're saved by grace is because we will continue to sin. And to say that we will not is ridiculous. We will. We, that's why there's, the church needs a theology of understanding that everyone from the pulpit and the pulpit to the pew, to the nursery, everywhere, they, everyone's a sinner. Everyone has a sinful nature. Sin is going to show up over and over and over and over and over and, over and again. That's why we are saved by an imputed righteousness. Righteousness. Let's see where he's going to take this.
1: You know, nobody ever serves the Lord until they're saved by grace. You can try all you want to, and we're going to come to that bunch of crack doctors in a little bit. That's going to waste a lot of time and a lot of money. Let's turn now to Hebrews chapter 2. It'll be our last verse, I believe, and we'll have time for chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews. Verse 9, but we see Jesus. Who's made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now then, I'm the sinner. I'm sick unto death. I was still born spiritually. So were you. You know, not sick unto death. I was stillborn spiritually. So were you. You know what a stillborn is? You know what a stillbirth is? That means you were born dead. (coughs) I was born dead. The Bible said you at the quicken who were dead. Where would you get dead when I was born? I was born dead spiritually. This is the very heart of the need for grace right here. Nobody was born good or alive. They were born dead in sin. And they live in sin. And there's no other way to live except in sin until you're born again. All right, I'm the sinner. I realize there's something wrong with me. And so, I say to my neighbor, I'm ailing. I need help. I wonder, what can be done? Well, he said, uh, I recommend an old doctor. He, he's unusual. He's tough, he's hard, he's hated. But he's been in practice a long, long time. I recommend that you go to him. His offices won't look too good and you won't think he's much of a modern doctor but I recommend that you go to him. I said, where's his office? He told me. I went down to see Dr. Law. I said to the little nurse, I'd like to see Dr. Law. As he in said, he's always in. He's waiting for you now. I walked in not too much formality about Dr. Lowe. He looked at me. And he said, You have serious trouble. I said, How'd you know? He said, I can tell by looking at you. I said, What do you think's wrong with me? He said, I don't think I know. You have heart trouble. I said, You have me examine my heart. And like any old sinner, I began to get mad. And he ruffled my feathers the wrong way. I said, let me tell you, Dr. Law, you've never seen me before. And you've diagnosed my case by just one brief glance. And I said, I'm here to tell you, I'm having trouble with my feet. They've been carrying me to the dance hall, and I've been dancing, and they've been carrying me to the liquor store, and I'm having trouble with these hands. He said, it's not your hands, it's your heart.
0: All right, now he's using this illustration. All right, Dr. Law... Now, of course, Dr. Law would be like, not only do I know you have a problem at your heart, you're a sinner, you're doing all these things wrong, but Dr. Law would be like the way to fix it is you need to do this. Stop doing this and do this. Stop doing this. 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 Do this. Stop, do, stop. And it would just be what you're supposed to do, what you're supposed to stop doing and what you're supposed to do. Let's see how he's going to illustrate Dr. Law.
1: I said, I've been having trouble with these eyes. These eyes have been watching television till 12 and one o'clock at night and I couldn't get enough rest to go to sleep and my wife's just as bad as I am and I I need some help with these eyes. I,
0: I do find it funny that Dr. Law condemns you for dancing and for watching TV till midnight. That's... That's what Dr. Law goes after. Like, like not all of the actual sins that are there. Pride, greed, you know, secret love. Like, all the things that are really going on in our hearts. Unforgiveness, bitterness, you know. No, 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 no. It's like, what the problem is, is you're going to that dance hall and you're watching TV till midnight. That's the real issue, okay? that's I just find that somewhat funny, but okay. But it's very common in this circle that... Music and television is always the thing you go after, but okay.
1: He said, no, it's not eye trouble you have it. You don't need an optometrist. You need a heart specialist. I said to him, I'm having trouble with this old tongue. Ah, listen, that old tongue spits out oaths and dirty jokes and it criticizes and it cuts people to pieces. He said, it's not your tongue, it's your heart. Well, immediately I fell out with him. I said, I don't even like your attitude. I said, you seem plum egotistical. He said, no, I just know what's wrong with you. Well, I said, I'll tell you one thing. You're wrong about it, and I'm not going to pay any attention to you. And there are other doctors in this town. And I'm, he said, Yeah, the woods are full of them. And when you make your rounds and won't get real help, come on back. I said, I'll never be back. Isn't that just like a sinner? Down the street I went.
0: Let's make it very clear that's just like Christians, too, okay? Because we don't listen either, and we're just as real. Rib- okay, but all right. All right, so he's not listening to the law. Now the law is supposed to, hes what the law is supposed to do is show you your sin and then you're supposed to obviously be broken under that and then be driven to Christ. But if we don't listen to the law, if we refuse to hear the law or we don't think the law applies to us or we try to convince ourselves that we are more righteous than what the law is claiming, then yes, we won't ever get to Dr. Grace. But let's see how he tells the story.
1: You know where I went, don't you? I went to doctor religion. That's where most people go when they get in trouble, doctor religion. Oh, yes. I went in and he had the plush office and neon signs were flashing and he had nurses all around and I'll tell you we just looked like uh, had really run into a tremendous doctor, doctor religion. And so, he had some assistance, and he said, I'd like for you to go see Dr. (laughs) Not-So-Bad. Well, I said, all right, that sounds pretty good to me. So I go into the office, and Dr. Not-So-Bad said, I don't really think you're so bad.
0: I see nothing and just remember, if, if you go from Dr. Law to Dr. Religion, Dr. Religion would be like, believe this, believe this, believe that, like, you know, maybe get your theology right. Do this, go to church, give you things to do. It would still be very much related because he he kind of referred to Dr. Religion as kind of being assistant, an assistant of Dr. Law or connected. It, religion would just give you more to do, more to do. Be this way, think this way, believe this, but it wouldn't, obviously, the point is religion would give... Think of it this way. Religion would give you a religious self-righteousness, right? A religious self-righteousness. In other words, you would feel self-righteous based off all the religious things you do. I go to church. I tithe. I take the Lord's Supper. I, I teach Sunday school. I, I I read my Bible. You would look. You would feel self-righteous because of the religious things you do. Now he's going to go to Dr. Not-So-Bad.
1: What is seriously wrong with you? Well, I said, I like that. I feel better already. Amen. Yes, sir.
0: See, Dr. Not-So-Bad So there's nothing seriously wrong with you. Okay, yeah, you're going you're gonna to like that. You're, that's going to make you feel good.
1: Not-So-Bad, doctor. And isn't that the word, you know what the sinner says? I'm not-So-Bad. I've never killed anybody. I take care of my wife and my children. I'm not-So-Bad. But that old doctor's a quack. And you'll never get well going to doctor not so bad. In a little while I found out that he'd failed and I went back to doctor religion. And he said, you know, I think the way you look, you've told me every time you're not feeling uh, just right. I'd like for you to go to doctor feeling good. He's one of my newest doctors and he, he's just got the latest training there is. And I think if you go in there, you'll start feeling better right away. So I went to doctor, feeling good. And he ran me through his little simple tests, and I got nowhere. But I wasn't feeling any better. I go back to doctor religion, and he said, I'll tell you what I believe. I've got a doctor over here in a very lovely office, oh doctor I try. And I go into doctor I try, and he said, I don't think you're trying. I said, well, tell me how to try. But that didn't work either. And yet people are trying. You ever heard anybody say? I said to the man, are you a Christian? He said, I'm trying to be. I'm. He said, I'm working at it, working at it. You never get saved like that. I go back to Doctor religion. He sends me in to doctor do good. And he tells me just to do good. And this world's full of these do gooders, you know. But they don't do good. Nobody can do good without God. Amen. He sent me to doctor to be better and do better. But I couldn't, because I had a bad heart.
0: Okay, now he's acknowledging the reason we can't we can't do good, we can't do good. Now he's now the problem is this is going to create this kind of illustration where okay, you can't do good because you're not saved. So you get saved to do good, but we get saved and declared to be good even though we're not good. See this illustration. There's a lot of there's a lot of cool things about it that we do run to all of these solutions. But these same solutions are still trying to be exercised by those who are Christians, still looking to religion, still looking to not so bad, still looking to try harder, still looking to do this, do that. We still look for all of these things, even within Christianity, to make ourselves feel better, and in many cases, to try to prove that we're saved. But because what what we this this creates this weird idea within Christianity. See, before you're saved, you can't do good. You can't. You're just bad, 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 bad. But so we get saved so that we can become good in practice. No, we get saved and we are declared perfect. But in practice, we still don't do good because we have a sinful nature. So even our good is tainted by that nature.
1: Old Dr. Religion, finally, he's getting a little discouraged with me. And um, he said to me, I've got a, a doctor in here in an office. I have a tremendous staff. I said, Yeah, I noticed that. I've about been to all of them. My... He said, There's one that you haven't been to. I'd like for you to go visit Dr. join <laughs> So I go in there and a big sign says, Doctor, I join. <laughs> and I go into to him and he said, Now, I don't care how many doctors you've been to, if Doctor Religion sends you in here, I must have the answer for you. And uh, I want you to start the church. Well, I said, which one? Oh, it doesn't make a lot of difference. The church of your choice. Yeah. The one that's convenient to get to the one that has a nice young people's program you know you have children and they'll need to play I said yes I, I sure do and I'll do it. and so I I go to the church and I visit a few times and I'm not any better and I go back to old doctor I joined he said uh, you're not feeling the better I said no well he said did you join I said no I didn't join he said you're supposed to join he said, that's my name. I joined. And said, I want you to join you. And you know what happened, don't you? I did just like old sinners. I joined the church. He told me I had to work at it, take a job in the church. And I took all the jobs they'd give me. And finally, despaired of ever being in the better. Brother,
0: try. See, the, but the better, it's, it's subtle. The better is doing better. See, see that that's the I I keep doing bad. I keep doing bad. See that the fix that he's looking for. See, this is this is so subtle, but it's so I want you to understand this. When you come to Christianity is the goal to start doing better, stop doing bad things, or is the goal to be declared righteous by a perfect righteousness imputed to your account? See, so, so we've we've we within the Christian world, it's this subtle thing that you no, know, we come to Christianity, so we'll stop doing all the bad stuff. Because that's how the testimonies are always told. Before I was saved, I did this and this and this, and I got saved, and boom. Now I don't do any of those things. I'm wonderful, I'm great. Look at me. Look, here's the before picture, here's the after picture. dun dun, dun. dun, dun. And but the reality is you're still a sinner sinner with a sin nature and that sin sin nature is going to, it may not manifest in the exact same ways it did before your salvation. You may not be laying on the street corner and the pull of your own vomit because you were so drunk or high on drugs, but guess what? You're still a sinner. You're still got deception and deceit and lust and gluttony and slothfulness and covetousness and on and on and on and on and on and on. It's all still there and it shows up in different ways. Do we come to Christ so that we'll be better people in practice, or do we come to Christ because he's the only one who offers perfect righteousness, with which the law and which God demands?
1: All that bunch of quacks you want to and crack pots you want to, you'll never get better by what you can do. I wrote a little track one time. It's not due, it's done. And I
0: completely agree with that. It's not due, it's done. Amen. Amen. But what's done? What's done is Christ kept the law that I could not keep. All those things I should do, Christ did them all for me. They're done. And by faith, they're given to me. So whatever test you give me, if you're truly saved, you'll do this, this, and this, and this, and this. Guess what? I do all of that in Christ Jesus doesn't mean that excuses my behavior. It just means what proves my salvation is what is done. What salvation is about this imputed righteousness, not a practical one. Now, so far, there's times he sounds like this is amazing, and but th- there's a subtle, and it, that's what makes me nervous. It's like, but I know where you're, you're, you're leading over to this practical and forgetting the positional, forgetting the doctrine of imputation.
1: I mean, Christ has already paid the debt. It's finished, he said, on the cross of Calvary. And so like other sinners, I grew weary in trying to do better, be better, improve a little. I joined everything in town, every club that had me, and the church went to work. I was still in great difficulty, in great difficulty.
0: And see, you are in great difficulty. Because here's how he's describing the great difficult, difficulty. My actions. My, my, basically, he seems to be saying that he was in great difficulty because of his actions. He wasn't changing. You were in great difficulty because you're guilty before a holy God because you cannot keep the law. You cannot keep the law. You're under the wrath of God. You're guilty in Adam. Forget your actions. You're already guilty in Adam. And then the law condemns you. And he's like, no, I got to find the solution. You see, it, it, almost in a subtle way, like on the one hand, he's saying Christ did it. But it's very, it, it, it almost sounds like, no, what I have to do is find the solution so that I can keep the law. No, 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 no. The solution is you can't keep the law ever, ever. The solution is I got to find someone who can make, who has the righteousness to, to satisfy this demand that is beyond my capability saved or unsaved
1: and then in despair I struggled home day after day I'd been to church fell down on the divan and my good neighbor rang my doorbell I said well there he is again I hope he doesn't tell me to go back to that old crazy doctor, Dr. Low. My neighbor comes in, had a smile on his face, song in his heart, and he seemed like he was just getting along so fine. And uh, he said, uh, Mr. Roloff, how are you? And I said, terrible. I said, I've run to every doctor in town. I've tried them all. He said, I did too. He said, when will you be willing to go back to Dr. Law? I said, Never. All he's going to is heart trouble. And he doesn't know beans about my heart. And I'm not going back to him. My neighbor looked at me as straight as anybody ever looked at him and said, let me tell you something. If you want to get well, you'll go to him. Because he knows exactly what's wrong with you. He told me the same thing. And if you go back and listen to him and do what he tells you to do, you'll be as happy as I am come in the morning and I said I'm not gonna do it the flesh dies hard doesn't it oh how stubborn we are how satisfied we try to be on what we do but it won't work and so he said I'll be praying for you I realize you're a very sick man I sat around there for a while walked the floor worked in the backyard a little bit talked to my wife made some calls, but I knew I was sick unto death. And the more of the doctors I went to see, the sicker I got. And I finally just forgot my pride, put my hat on and started toward Dr. Law's office. And every step I took was a step toward victory. I walked up to that office humiliated, Discouraged. The little nurse said, you're back again. I said, yes. Don't like it, but here I am. Ah, she said, there's a better day for you. I said, is Dr. Law here? And I hoping he wasn't, oh, yes. He's always here. He's waiting for you now. And so, I walked in. Dr. Law just glanced over. Same old heart patient. Brother, you got to get your case diagnosed right before you can get the right cure. And if you're a sinner here tonight, there's just one thing wrong with you and you got heart trouble. and it's And it's so true.
0: The the law is absolutely required to get the right diagnosis. And the right diagnosis is, yes, you have a heart problem and you will. And here's the standard and you will never fulfill the standard ever under any circumstances, saved or unsaved. You cannot fulfill this law and what you do. You've, the, and this law demands perfection. You've got to find someone who's going to give you the perfection. You've got to find someone who can keep this law for you. And the only person who's done that is Jesus Christ. He obeyed it perfectly. He died for your violation of it. And his righteousness and obedience is imputed to you by faith alone.
1: It's going to take more than water up in that baptistry to wash your sins away. And it's going to take more than join the church. or doing good, you're going to have to come to Dr. Law. Dr. Law said, you might as well face it. You've made your rounds, haven't you? And I said, yes, I have. Are you feeling any better? And I said, to tell the truth, I am not. Have you been able to do better or be good? I said, no. I don't mean to tell you i
0: now, the, the subtle part here, the subtle part here is the law is like, have you been able to do better? Have you been able to do good? No. Now, now, now the question is, does, is salvation there simply so that we will do better or do good? Or is it us believing in one who did perfectly and that's imputed to us?
1: I told you so, but I knew it happened just like that. Are you ready? I said, all right. You say I have heart trouble then what's the next step? You're going to have to have major heart surgery. In fact, is a heart transplant.
0: Here we go. Here we go. All right. Now, am I, see, is my salvation an imputed righteousness, or is my salvation a heart transplant? Which is it? Now, some say it's both, but remember, if it's a heart transplant, And the old heart is completely removed. Sinless perfection is the logical conclusion.
1: Well, I said, Dr. Law, sweat began to pop out. I said, that's serious. He said, I know it is. It really is. But he said, I tell you, you're either going to get you a heart transplant or either you're done for and I said if there's no other choice when do you want to operate old Dr. Law looked at me and said I don't operate I said you don't operate and tell me I've got to have an operation he said that's right I simply diagnosed the case I said then I still am condemned to die is that right he said until you get to my friend across the hall I'd like to recommend to you and lead you to his door. A doctor who never lost a case, or made a charge and has been performing heart transplants for ages. And with all the sweat rolling off of my chin, poor old weak trembling sinner, I followed old Dr. Law. And he just... And somebody said, Come in and then the door opened. Dr. Law said, Dr. Grace, I present to you Lester Roloff. He's in horrible shape. His heart is rotten. He's gone apart from an operation from you. <coughs> and Dr. Grace looked at me and smiled and said, come on in. I'm ready for you now. I'll only operate now. That's my only time schedule. Oh, I said, no, Dr. Grace, tomorrow. He said, I never operate tomorrow. I said, I wish you'd have done it yesterday. He said, I don't operate yesterday. It's always today. And now's the time I start cutting.
0: See, this this is viewing salvation as an, an infusion of something. It, it's not imputed. This is like... No, salvation is now this inner, this is what it is. God came not to declare me righteous, but to make me righteous in a practical, practical, practical way by doing this work inside. This this is the, the age-old debate within theology. Am I saved by an imputed righteousness or an infused? Imputed or infused? Imputed or infused? And so much of our discussion in the evangelical world is infused, 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 even though we say Roman Catholicism is wrong
1: are you ready well I said no I said uh, I said where's Dr. Law well he said he's gone I said he's gone couldn't he help you he said I don't need any help I said where are your nurses he said I don't have any nurses I do it all by myself I said uh, call my wife and, and tell her to come and sit here while you I Said no. This is a very personal operation. Nobody will be present but just me and you. No, I said, and I was sick unto death and getting worse by the second. I said, Dr. Grace, I guess I'm ready, but I sure want you to give me a good, deep anesthetic. Oh, no, he said. I never give an anesthetic. I want you to know exactly what's taking place. I want you to have an experience you can tell about. Mm. Well, I said, Dr. Grace, I'm ready. I fall back on his old operating table by faith. And he reaches down and gets his knife and makes an incision through the heart section, and oh, what a smell. My, I said, where is that? horrible smell coming he said that's coming out of your heart well i said i did have heart trouble oh yes he said that's where that profanity has been coming from that's where those old filthy jokes that's your cesspool of sin
0: guess what that same heart is still inside of you even saved that's why we're saved by an imputed righteousness this is such a this is such a moralistic view of Christianity. Like so much of it is so perfect, so much of it is so wonderful. And and you got to admit the telling of the story. I don't know about you, it draws me in. I mean, I've heard this sermon multiple times. I'm always drawn in by it. There's so much good in it, in certain ways. But this is like a moralistic idea, idea that see now now that all that heart's gone, there goes all the profanity. There goes all the lust. That goes everything.
1: So perfection should be expected. That's reading, it's got to come out. All of it's got to come out. I'm taking the whole thing out. I said, oh, me. (laughs) I forgot to ask you, where am I going to get another heart? He said, "Uh, a friend of yours has provided one for you. Oh, I said, I'd like to meet him. Well, he said, it'll be a wonderful heart. And said, you'll get to meet him after the operation. He reached down and took that old, dirty, cursed, lust, and filthy, fleshly heart out.
0: Oh. Yeah, oh, he ta- All that's gone. So, see, this is a salvation where all that's gone. So now, guess what? There should be no lust. There should be no flesh. There should, be no, there should just be godliness and perfection.
1: Oh, how sick I was when that old heart came by my nose and he <laughs> threw it away. Huh. <laughs> That's what's wrong with you little girls without Christ right now. That's makes you shoot dope. That's the reason you run off from your mother and daddy. Live in the in the hippie hives and don't die. You've got a bad heart. And you'll never be any different till your heart's changed. Those- See, this
0: is not pointing them to imputed righteousness. This is pointing them to change, change, change. You must be changed. No change. See and 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 see hey you all of that will go away as soon as you get a new heart all of that will go away and then you'll just be wonderful perfect and godly and never be another problem and and everything and that's why there's no sin in the church that's why there was no sin in the church of Corinth there was no sin anywhere that's why there's that's why everyone just stopped sinning obviously i'm being sarcastic
1: for every man and woman in Corpus Christi Texas and around the earth the operation is over The incision is closed, and I'm breathing better. And the doctor said, you know, your eyes are brighter. There's color coming back in your cheeks. And I said, yeah, there's strength in my voice, and I want to thank you. My, I've never felt like this before. He said, I know it. And I said, now then, give me some information when do you want me to come back for a checkup? Oh, he said, no checkup is necessary, this is permanent. Amen. When I do the job, it's done. And this will last throughout eternity. My, I said, isn't that wonderful? I said, do you have any suggestion? And he said, yes, I'd suggest some good exercises. I said, for instance, well, he said, I believe I'd walk down the street and knock on doors and tell about Dr. Law and Dr. Grace. I believe I'd go tell what Dr. Grace did for you when he operated and took that old heart out. I said, said, are there any other exercise? Yes, he said, I believe it would be good to take some kneeling exercises like this. Get down and thank God for what he's done for you. That's good exercise and praise the Lord for all that he's done uh, for the new heart that was given to you. And I said, Amen.
0: Please note, praise God and thank God, not for an imputed righteousness,
1: but for a changed heart. And so I started out at the door. I said, wait a minute. I-, I was supposed to meet my friend who gave me this heart. And he said, yes. Dr. Grace said to Jesus, would you come in, please? And Jesus came in. And when his robe fell aside, I saw Piercing place and star here. He smiled at me. He said, I'm glad I got to give you my heart. Mm.
0: So now in salvation, you get the heart of Jesus. Meaning all your desires are pure. All of your motivations are pure. You're just pure in heart. Why then do we sin, 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 sin? sin? Where is the sin coming from now? See, before he diagnosed the problem, it's your heart. Well, where is the problem now? Where is the problem coming from now?
1: And I said, I believe I'll start my exercises right now. Amen. Amen. And brother, I believe my hands ought to go up to Jesus for taking that old, ugly, stinking, sinful, filthy heart and giving me a heart like his that made me love everybody. Yes.
0: Oh, wow, now you love everybody. Sounds like maybe you stayed with uh, the, 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 the doctor of religion because now you've got a little bit of self-righteousness. There's no way you love everybody according to the biblical standard of love. We don't love everybody. We love ourselves. Even as Christians, we fall short in this area.
1: I've introduced you tonight to the two great doctors Dr. Law tells you what's wrong with you and what you've got to have. And Dr. Grace comes along to give you a new heart.
0: See, please note, Dr. Grace comes along to give you a new heart. Not that Grace gives you the imputed righteousness of Christ. No, no, no. It's a new heart. This is literally, no matter how good all of this sounds, it's literally changing the entire gospel
1: perform the operation, and make you every with whole. The most wonderful thing I've ever found in all of my life is the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. And remember, yes, we are saved
0: by grace through faith. And by faith we are counted righteousness we're not, we're not made righteous by getting a new heart. We're Righteousness is accredited to our account. We are counted as righteous. Remember the Romans passage that he read but did not exegete or expound on? He literally forgot it.
1: And that not of himself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The songwriter must have known what he was talking about when he said, Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds
0: And then that's the end. Famous Lester Roloff loved to just burst out into song in the middle of his his sermons and radio program. But there you go. And I think there's probably going to be an altar call so that people can come and get a new heart because it's not going to point them to an imputed righteousness, but clearly to an infused righteousness. There you have basically, I hate to say this, just a form of Catholicism. It's just a form of Catholicism. It's either, I'm saying, by an imputed or an infused. Well, when you say that, I, that you come to Jesus to get a new heart so that you can do better, it's just a form of Roman Catholicism. That's all it is. That's what the entire Protestant Reformation was about. I am saved by a foreign, alien righteousness that's accredited in my account by faith. I am a saint, yet I remain a sinner with a sinful nature. This kind of moralistic, moralism-infused righteousness rhetoric has so infiltrated and been a part of American evangelicalism that I think when the real gospel comes along, nobody even knows what it is or even knows how to recognize it. But there you have it, the famous sermon by Dr. Lester Roloff, Dr. Law and Dr. Grace, a sermon illustration that inadvertently destroys the gospel and destroys what salvation really is. I'd love to get your thoughts about this famous sermon. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. News, if at yahoo.com. Thanks to the person who emailed this to me. Perfect. Fits the sermon illustration from today's focus, yet it helped with law and gospel. And I, I labeled this part one. I will obviously fix the title because I was able to finish this all in one extra long episode, but it's better to finish these reviews in in one broadcast than it is to try to break them down to multiple ones. I was going to try to break it down, but then I was just like, I get, I think hearing the story flow is better than breaking it up. So um, hopefully you agree. All right. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great evening. God bless.